So let's read, if you will, uh, the 14th verse. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Father, we love you today. Thank you so much because, Lord, we just depend on you. Unless you build a house, we labor in vain that build it. Except you watch over the city, Lord, the watchman. He just simply wakes in vain. And unless you bless us this morning, unless you touch our ears and our hearts, and that we, we, we can't be receptive. But as we plant seed, the word of God today, we pray that there would be good soil and that it would spring up and produce much. Blessed in Christ's name, we humbly pray. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of, of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that an interesting verse? Uh, if you do not have an outline of the, uh, certainly of the message, please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure you get one. I want everyone to have an outline of the, of the sermon. Notice the introduction. Habakkuk begins with complaint and ends with one of the most beautiful songs in the Bible. He questions, uh, his questions rather demonstrated the presence of his faith. Not the lack of it. You think by him asking these questions that he's struggling without, with the, the lack of faith. But notice what we have here. For an atheist, the question why has no meaning. But for a believer, the question why finds its ultimate answer in God. And we want to look at the conversation. Usually the prophet or the writer, whether it's Isaiah, major prophets or the minor prophets, they're writing to, to the people. Here we join in on this great conversation with this great prophet. And he's called a minor prophet, not because his message is not important. A minor prophet, as he, as he questions God... And you notice on the outline we have the prophet's questions. And this is in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He wonders what's happening. As we know that he, Habakkuk, is a contemporary of Jeremiah. Uh, Israel was, uh, had uh, split into two, two different countries. You had the nation of Israel and the two tribes, which was the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of, uh, or the nation of Israel had gone into captivity, but here Judah was. And now here Jeremiah and Habakkuk is prophesying concerning the nation of Judah. And he begins to ask God these questions because of the immorality and the sin and, and what was going on in the nation. I, I don't think it's any different than what's happening in America today. I think we as believers sometimes says, God, what are you doing? Why do you let all this go on in America and in the world today? What's happening? And that's what he was doing. Uh, he really, and if you read the message, and I would encourage you to read, there are three chapters of this great book. And I would encourage you to read it with several translations. I like uh, reading it with the paraphrase, uh, of the message, he says, part, in, in, partly in this chapter one, justice is a joke. Anarchy and violence are broken down, or break out rather. 
The law and order falls to pieces. He was wondering, God, why are you allowing this nation, your chosen people, to go on in this condition? Well, the thing about it, God answers him. And uh, Habakkuk didn't like the answer that God gave him. He said, by the way, Habakkuk, I'm going to bring judgment on, on Judah. And I'm going to use the nation of Babylon to punish and to bring judgment on these people. You ever ask a question and then the answer comes and then there are more questions? Well, that created more questions in the mind of this great prophet. He said, God, I don't understand. The nation of Israel is, or, or Judah is, is wicked and all of these things are going on. The weak are being mistreated and, and all of the, the happenings. But yet you're going to take an ungodly people, the Babylonians, and punish a godly people. He didn't understand that. He could not understand why God was allowing this to happen. God's very nature cannot allow him to behold evil without punishing the guilty one. God uses the godless to punish, of course, this even though it was all these things, this godly nation. But then he says, woe to the wicked. Habakkuk pronounces a series of woes upon the Babylonians and he predicts their downfall. So you have the questions. God answers Habakkuk with saying, I'm going to punish Judah. I'm going to use Babylon to punish Judah. Habakkuk says, why are you using this awful wicked nation Babylon and he says listen I am going also to bring judgment on the nation of Babylon and so he was he was somewhat understanding what he was going to say and what God was saying and he goes to the top of the mountain and he says I'm going to wait for the answer and God gives him the answer And he was satisfied. He was content. I wonder how many of us today ask God questions and then really and truly take time for him to speak to us and answer those questions. You may have questions in your mind today and on your heart today. God, why am I sick? Why is my family the way it is? Why why are my children doing like they're doing? Why am I having to put up with the things at work that I'm putting up with? Why does our why has our nation backslid and gone away from the very principles it was founded upon? God, why, 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 why? Well, if you have questions, so does a lot of other people. And it's not wrong to question God. Job questioned God. There were 335 questions in the book of Job alone. Why, God? So Habakkuk went up and he said, Hey, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna listen to the uh, answer of God. And in the midst of all that he was saying, and in the midst of all of this evil and anarchy, and in the midst of all of this backsliding away from God, God puts this very verse here, Habakkuk 2.14. And he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
I'm sure Habakkuk got to scratching his head and said, I don't see it. I don't understand what you're saying. I can't see what you're saying. But God nevertheless says that. God demonstrates his sovereignty. Notice, and I want to break this verse down because I think that I want to understand it. Like, because I want to know, God, you're going to increase the knowledge of your glory. He just didn't say, I'm going to increase my glory in all the earth. I'm going to increase the, increase the knowledge of my glory in all the earth. And we're asking ourselves today, God, what's going on with America? Why do you allow America to continue in her sinfulness like she is? God, why is there so much wickedness? Why does the world control television and the radio, most of it, much of it? Why does it seem like the wicked prosper? And it seems like the church is suffering today. What's going on? God says, I'm telling you, and I believe this is for us, just like it was during the time of this great prophet Habakkuk. I believe it's for America and the world today, just like it was for Israel. First of all, let's look at this glory. Let's look at this knowledge of God's glory. What's going to happen? God says, let me tell you what's going to happen, first of all, to Babylon. Babylon is going to be destroyed. But before I do, I'm going to take the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to humble him. Because you see, they were taking them by leaps and bounds, country after country, nation after nation. But all of a sudden, God comes in. Most of us know the story of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was cast out of his kingdom, went out in the fields and ate grass like an animal. God humbled him. He reestablished him back in his kingdom, but he recognized God. The nation of Babylon suffered judgment from the hand of God. The king of Babylon suffered and humbled himself and recognized God Almighty. That's one way to explain verse 14. Another way to explain verse 14 is the glorious days of the Messiah. We're fixing to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We look at this great happening that happened over 2,000 years ago. For in Bethlehem there was a babe. And this babe would be the savior of the world. Figure that. Figure that. Born of a virgin Mary. Lived for 33 and a half years on this earth. And changed the world. He and his disciples began to preach and to teach the gospel, the principles of the kingdom of God, and it spread throughout the world. And it's spread to the knowledge of the glory of God. You see, man can know God through and by the person of Jesus Christ like he's never known before. Jesus said, let me show you God. Let me show you his goodness and his kindness. Let me show you his sovereignty and his power. And he used all of that. And God, during the time of the Messiah, 
spread the gospel around the world. And since then, it has continued to spread. So that's verse 14, Babylon falling. God showing his glory that he was sovereign. Jesus Christ coming and God showing his sovereignty there and God showing his glory. Nothing has revealed the glory of God like the son of God, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, let me say about verse 14, the glorious spread of the gospel and the success of the church. The success of The church, Brother Don, are you telling me that the church today is successful? Because churches after churches after churches in the Western world are closing their doors. And how are you standing behind that sacred stand to tell the truth and tell me that the gospel is spreading throughout the world? Let me give you some some statistics. Stay with me. Some believe the church will go down in defeat and have to be evacuated from this world. The gospel will not prevail in this age. That's what many people think today. But the view of the scriptures is quite different. Andrew Fuller, contemporary and friend of William Carey, wrote in 1799... All the things of the nations, all the efforts to overturn the doctrine of the cross, or listen to me, or blot out the spirit of Christianity from the earth, we consider as permitted for for wise and holy ends and being satisfied that they make a part of God's eternal plan. The same things happen in today that happened with the early church. Because the early church was persecuted. The early church was thrown to the lions. And and they tried to snuff out Christianity. But guess what happened? It spread. This is God's plan. We are not inordinately anxious about them. We have no doubt that these things are wisely permitted. That they are a fan in the hand of Christ by which he will thoroughly purge his floor. And that the true gospel of Jesus Christ, like the sun in the heavens, will finally disperse all these interposing clouds. Stay with me. We are persuaded as well as they that things upon the whole, whether we in our contracted spheres of our observation perceive it or not, are tending to the general good. This was written back in 1799. That the empire of truth and righteousness, notwithstanding all the infidelity, iniquity that are in the world, is upon the increase. That it must increase and more and more. That glorious things are yet to be accomplished in the church of God. And that all which we have hitherto seen or heard of the gospel dispensation is but as the first fruits of an abundant harvest. So when we look on things that are happening and we, we judge the world and we think, oh God, the church is not being successful, don't believe what you're hearing. And then the writer today said, such a view of the church prevailed in an early age. Today we have come full circle to a much more 
pessimistic view of the church, which has contributed to the weakness of the church in our day. Listen to this. No longer do we hear such grand predictions of the future of the church in this age. Such was the old school. Today we know better. The church's days are numbered. And we need to get ready to evacuate. Satan is winning the battle and we can do nothing about it. The kingdom of Satan is prevailing and the kingdom of God is on the retreat. Such is the attitude of much of evangelical teaching today. From this kind of attitude, we need to retreat. The Bible teaches no such doctrine. We have deluded ourselves to believe those who teach such things. It is high time the evangelical church wakes up and gets on with its mission in the world. Thank you, Dan Saldana. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Somebody say amen. Amen. Harvest force, stay force, stay in tune to the big picture of what God is doing. Today, God is calling unprecedented numbers of people to himself. Suddenly he is packing into one place at one time more valuable human souls than at any other time in history. Well, Brother Don, I just don't see it. Stay with me. Non-Western missionaries are increasing at a rate of about 13%. This is taken from the traveler team, Conway, Arizona. About 13% a year, while Western missionaries are increasing at about 4%. Non-Western missionaries increasing at about 13% a year. Western, whether it's the United States, whether it's Europe, whether it's, you know, countries like Britain, England, France, just 4%. But non-Western, 13%. North Americans constitute perhaps 10 to 15% of the worldwide committed church. If you think, We're in the end-all, be-all of God's global activity. America, North Carolina, Durham, the United States. If you think we're in the end-all, be-all of God's global activity, we're missing at least, fasten your seatbelt, 85% of what God is really doing today. That's a wow And we need to understand that. We can get up in the morning and go through the day and we can see what's happening in our community and what's happening in the culture today. We can turn on our television and we can go to bed depressed if we want to. We need to realize God is moving all over the world today. And we might see about 10% or 15% of what God is doing You say, but I don't see anything about it. You think ABC is going to tell you? You think CBS and NBC and CNN is going to tell you? Not by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. They're not going to let you know what's happening around the world. I don't know about you. This excites me. This excites me. 
You know, just a few years ago, it's been some years ago now, Gerald Singleton and myself was in Seoul, Korea. And we had an opportunity to go to the largest church in the world. They had 800,000 members. That was years ago. You know how many they have today? A church with one million members. Well, we can't even fill up our pews. Well, we need to see the big picture. Can I say that again? Did that, that, that just do that? Amen. We need to see God is moving over the world. You know, I don't know how many staff and how many ministers that Dr. Cho's church has. Hundreds and hundreds. But they, there is not one staff member can serve in a church unless they sign a contract saying they will pray three hours a day. Ain't no wonder things are happening in that church. God's doing some wonderful, wonderful things. And he's doing it around the world. Happening around the world. I love Revelation 5 and 9. It says God is bringing millions and millions of men, women and children to himself from every people, from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation. Another writer puts it this way. In North America, we believers need to get better at lifting up our eyes. If we interpret our discipleship in Jesus Christ only in the light of what we see in our own backyards, we're going to miss the historic miracles happening around us as he continues to make disciples of every nation. In this breathtaking sweep of history, let's not keep our eyes on our own feet to the extent that we miss the beauty of the whole body fitted and joined together. Let's recognize God's moment and there's prayers going up all over the world whether it's Seoul Korea and they have the prayer mountain and people by the tens of thousands goes and spends hours and hours in prayer there's a movement a day and night prayer listen to this There's a movement, a day and night prayer in our day and age that is going on, that is accelerating, that is growing. And this writer says, I think it's a movement we've not even begun to to see the tip of the iceberg of what God is doing in day and night prayer. In South Africa, there are over 5,000 houses of prayer that are committed to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can't even fill up our prayer room. Now, don't, don't get mad at me. Please don't. I'm just a messenger. It's important that we understand that there are millions of people that are stirred and that are praying. In Indonesia, there's over a thousand 
And it's the largest Muslim country in the world. Over a thousand prayer towers that, that have been built that are dedicated to day and night praying. Well, I'm glad they're doing it. I'm sure not going to do it. Oh, well. I, I don't think anybody said that. But, I mean, we need to understand God is moving all over the world. I have stationed watchmen, Isaiah said, on, the, on, our, on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. If we want to experience a revival. If we want to experience the manifested presence of God. The church here in America must pray. But we're too busy. We got too much to do. We got too much money to spend. I mean, we, you know, it is amazing. And this is a challenge to the pastor as well as all of us here in this church. I want you to know what God is doing today. There has never been a revival without the church praise. You can go down through history with every major revival that's happened in the world, you'll find it was birthed out of ongoing night and day prayers. Bear with me just a little bit more, and I'll, I'll hush. This is posted by the Holy Spirit uh, is on the move. This is, a, this is an article by Zeth Barnes. We Americans tend to focus on our personal and national circumstances with that of the church around the world. We may be struggling, but God's work is not. Things are moving rapidly across the globe. More people are coming to Christ now than at any other time in the history of the world. Wow. And there's probably all of us have heard about what God is doing in the Muslim community. He is is showing the imams and the leaders and the Muslims visions and revelations. And they're turning to God, turning to God. Most of you know that we pray every Tuesday, we being the ministers of Durham, North Carolina. There are about 40 preachers that gather every Tuesday at Day Spring Church on 9th Street. And we've been doing this almost 19 years. And during this time, I've never seen the like of people coming from overseas to this prayer group. Are you listening? They're coming from all over the world. Especially from Africa. We had a man that came a few years ago and visited us on Tuesday morning at 9.30. He and his wife lived in a Muslim country. It was in Africa somewhere. I don't know what country it was in Africa. I forget. And because they were Christians, 
They were gathered together, the whole church, this pastor and his wife. They took and separated the men from the women. And they shot the women and shot the men that they would no longer could serve their God. This man, somehow, God protected him and he escaped. He came to America knowing that his wife was dead, that she'd been shot. He came to North Carolina, true story. He came to North Carolina and he was in a meeting over in Roxborough. And guess who he met there? His wife that he thought was dead. That's one of the most amazing stories to me. To know how God is moving and protecting them. Those, sure there are people being killed and beheaded. But I'm telling you, God is doing a work even among the Muslim people. More people are coming to Christ now than any other time in the history of the world. And this was presented in a recent article by J. Lee Grady. And we've heard him preach several times. Just a great man of God. Listen to this. There are now about 600 million Christians in Africa. Protestant Christianity grew 600% in Vietnam in the last decade. In China, where a 50,000-member megachurch was raided in, in a providence a few weeks ago, there are now an estimated 130 million church grow, churchgoers. So I say, Wow. You see, we don't see that. There may be a few mega churches in in America, and thank God. But as a whole, churches are decreasing in America, especially in Europe. But in the Middle East, in Africa, in South America, there is such a revival, they're filling up every stadium they go to. Someone says, I'm moving. No, let's just stay right here. Astounding church growth has occurred in Guatemala, Brazil, India, and Ethiopia. In Nepal, which has no Christian, which had no Christians in 1960, there are now a half million believers. The Christian population of Indonesia has mushroomed from 1.3 million to 11 million Christians in 40 years. Am I getting boring? Is this, I hope this is not boring. I'm excited about what God is doing. I believe that verse 14 of Habakkuk 2 can be just as true here in Durham as it is in Indonesia, in Africa, if people will dare meet God's conditions to have revival. Wow. Smug scholars in Europe and the United States love the sight 
Islam as the world's fastest growing religion. But observers know the facts. Now here's the facts. Christianity, while waning, especially in Europe, is growing faster than ever in the southern hemisphere. Philip Jenkins, who wrote The Next Christendom in 2002, declared, The center, and I'm ending with these quotes, The center of gravity has moved to the global south. It is almost certainly going to be Christianity. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So if, there, if we're looking for the religion that is going to affect the largest number of lives in the 21st century, it is almost certainly going to be Christianity. We need to be encouraged with what God is doing in the earth. If you've been a witness to, uh, to this move of God, what have you seen lately? And a lot of people have seen what God is doing and they're writing about it and telling about it and God is moving around the world does that excite you when I read Habakkuk 2.14 and I see that there is going to be an increase in the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea I can say it's happening here in 2016 and I believe it's going to happen even more in 2017 and I believe it's going to happen right here at 3518 Rose of Sharon Road let's believe God for that amen so if you made a decision over you're what 15 percent Realize there's an 85% you don't know about, or maybe you do know about it. I don't know. Now, I'll finish this by saying, looking at the lessons learned. Because Habakkuk goes from asking God why Judah is allowed to go like she's going. God says in his answer to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Judah's not going to go on, but she's going to be judged by a nation called Babylon. Then he wants to know why Babylon is doing this. And God says to Habakkuk, let me tell you something. Babylon is going to be judged. And here's what's going to happen. One of the greatest chapters in the book. I don't have time to read it this morning. But one of the greatest chapters in the book of the Bible. Books of the Bible. Is Habakkuk 3. I would encourage you sometime this week. To take it down. And read that chapter. Because here's some things we learn. Determined to praise and worship and thank God for his faithfulness. No matter how devastating the circumstances. That's what Habakkuk did. As you read this third chapter, he just praises God in spite of all the stuff that was going on. Number two, look with the eye of faith at God's plan for the future. Rather than sitting down and moaning and complaining and saying, God, I don't see this, I don't see that. Have faith in God. Trust God to fulfill his word in these last days. Number three, 
It is possible to rise above circumstances and even rejoice in them by focusing on God who stands above all. Our faith is not in our circumstances. Our faith is not in our problems. Our faith is not in what I see in the natural. My faith and trust is in God Almighty that is moving in this day and hour as the waters cover the sea. I believe that. That's not some fantasy thought. That's the God in heaven's truth. Number four, happiness Someone says, I'm so sad. You know, listen, 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 number four. Happiness is an emotion, but joy is a decision. Our decisions must rule our emotions. Look at what God's doing. Focus on God. Focus on the future. Stop looking at, the, at who won the election or who didn't win the election. Stop looking at what the world is doing. And, the, and best, one of the best things you can do is cut off that television. Because garbage in is garbage out. And you're not going to hear the things of God and what I'm telling you this morning on these networks. Most of them. Number five, Habakkuk does not deny his problems. Instead, he finds God sufficient in the midst of his troubles. Isaiah 61 and 3 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness to people, but, say but. You didn't say it loud enough. Say but. But, I love that, (laughs) the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Hallelujah. Glory shall be seen upon you. The Gentiles, that's you and I, shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's true. No matter the culture. That's true no matter the nation. That's true no matter what kind of picture the devil wants to try to show you. That those verses are true. Isaiah 6 and 9. Or 9 and 6 rather. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the devil has slipped the church in America this pill of saying it's over. Let me tell you, Slewfoot. Let me tell you, devil. Let me tell you anybody that will tell you God's not doing what he did. Maybe, maybe amongst us. I don't know. But let me tell you, for anybody that would say that, that is not true. You're going to believe God or you're going to believe the world or what carnality says. I, my friend, am going 
to believe God. There will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even when? Even when? Oh, I'm sorry. Forever. Even forever. God says it and I believe it. God wants to do a work in the church today. Sister Judy, would you come? I've moved fast, and maybe I've talked too fast, and if I have, I apologize. But this is burning in me today. I'm excited for the future. And when you go over to Nicaragua, like Brother Morris and Larry and myself, so which we started out over 50 years ago, over 50 years ago, supporting this ministry of Emory Wine. Emory Wine was an Assembly of God minister. He was a young man that piloted a, 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 an airplane. God spoke to him and told him to go to Central America. He and another brother was traveling in this plane, flying in this plane. They got down to Nicaragua and they ran out of gas in the air. That's a bad thing to do. They ran out of gas. The plane that they were in, he, uh, he flew it down to a field and the plane fell on the ground upside down neither one was hurt they stayed in their plane all night got out the next morning and they started walking they came to a river And they started to go one way and God spoke to them and said, go the other way. And they turned and went the other way. They came to a town. And in this town, they found men that was willing to help them. They had machetes. This group of men along with Brother Wine and his cohort went back to the plain. They turned the plane right side up, took their machetes and cut out a runway, put gas in that plane and flew out of that jungle. <laughs> Listen to me. And for over 50 years, they started out with one little church. That church is a powerful church on the east side of Nicaragua. They're in Bluefields. Now they have 18 churches. And you are responsible for much of and many of those churches. Because we've been giving them, we gave them for years, $500 a month. I think now we give them $350 along with other 400, 
We give them $400 a month. And we've been doing that for over 50 years. And when you go down there, those people, listen, they don't have cars. There's no reason to have cars because there are no roads. I'm talking about where we were. They travel down the river in a boat. And they travel for days to get the service. And they come in. And Brother Morris, you remember where we were in that one church? How that they opened the sides of that church. And as deep as you could see the people, they gathered. And the power of God moves with those people. But whether you go there and like we were in India. We've been there and we've preached and we've seen the what? Listen to this. The tens of thousands of people. Right in the midst of all the ungodly gods that they have. God has used Moses' chowdery to raise up a ministry that's second to none in that country. God is moving around the world. God is moving in America. I'm not saying to the extent that he was back in the 50s. You than I that's old enough to remember those great revivals. But God's still moving. He's moved here this morning. He's touching hearts and lives. And let let me say to you as I bring this to a close. God is moving as a light in the darkness. And today, if your life is filled with darkness, if you're struggling and you just seem like you can't get ahead, I want to introduce you to somebody that can help you, and that's Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted him as your personal Savior. Or maybe you've served the Lord, and maybe you do serve the Lord. But today, you just don't see what the preacher's preached about, and you want to. God can reveal to you what God... I'm not, as I said, I'm not telling you something that's not true. This is documented truth of what God is doing around the world. Because what God is doing is what verse 14 says. For there shall be an increase in the knowledge of the glory of God on the earth. As the waters covers the seas. Father, we love you today. God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the millions of lives that you're touching in the country of China. I thank you for even the underground churches that that are serving you. And that the people are so determined. To serve you. No matter what comes their way. God search our hearts here this morning. Reveal your truth to us. Help us to understand dear God. And to be able to see with spiritual eyes. And hear with spiritual ears. And tap into that. Lord may I be able to push my plate back and. And turn off the radio and the television and turn off the cell phone and find a place to pray. 
whether it's 50 minutes a day, one hour a day, or three hours a day. Help us as a church, dear God, to have faith in you as we fall before you. Serve you. Live for you. Speak to our hearts this morning, we humbly pray. Amen. Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and come to the altar. And we're going to give time to have prayer around the altar. I mentioned Wednesday night as I taught about worship. About an underground church in a communist country. And the preacher was preaching in this home church. People were gathered. They were enjoying the preaching. All of a sudden, the communist soldiers burst in the door. With their rifles and their guns. And the leader of the soldiers walked up to the pastor and said, I want you to take your Bible. And I want you to throw it on the floor. Reluctantly, that pastor took his Bible and threw it on the floor. The leading soldier turned to the congregation, pointed his gun. And he said, I want you to do what I say or I will kill you. He pointed his gun at a man and he said, I want you to come forward and spit on that Bible. The man reluctantly stood up, walked to the front of the building, walked to the front of that house, and knelt on his knees and spat on that Bible with tears. He got up and he was allowed to leave. He saved his life. He pointed the gun at this woman and he said, I want you to get up. I want you to come, kneel on your knees and spit on that Bible. The woman stood reluctantly, came reluctantly, knelt on her knees and she spat on the Bible. She was allowed to leave the building. Then he pointed a gun at a 16-year-old girl and he said, I want you to get up. I want you to come and I want you to kneel on your knees and I want you to spit on that Bible. This 16-year-old girl got up. She walked down to the front, got on her knees, reached down and picked that Bible up and wiped it off with her skirt and wept. And she said, Lord, forgive us for what we've done to your word. He put the gun to her head and pulled the trigger. He said, Pastor, that's a sad story, y'all. But that's the kind of faith. And that's the kind of determination that people around the world have. They're going to serve God no And I think it's time for Americans. I think it's time for you and I as Christians to stand up and say, no matter what the devil does, no matter the trial, no matter my circumstances, my faith is in God. You see, that's a terrible happening to that girl. You know where she's at today? She's in a better place than you and I are. She's home. I want us today to make up our mind, hey, I'm going to serve God no matter Get a backbone, a Christian backbone. Believe God, trust God. Have faith in God. Do what Larry Smith preached last last Sunday. I love that. He challenged our heart. And I've practiced it this week. Have you practiced it? 
Be intentional about your witnessing for Jesus. It feels good. Tell others about Jesus Christ. Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to the news. Listen and read the word of God and let that get into our hearts. I got to hush. Stand with me if you will.